Hello, and welcome to the Sound of History podcast. My name is Nick. I'm Mika. And this is a music history podcast where I attempt to teach music history to my wife. Woo! Who got to come <laughs> home from work early today. Yes. I'm a whole new woman. Well, same woman, just you're a here woman. I'm a here woman instead, instead of a there, of a there woman. woman. Okay. Anything you want to plug before we get into it? I feel like every time this seems like you've been put on the spot, but like we do it every episode. I, well, no, I'm thinking about it because we're 12 episodes deep now. Listen, you listen, ready for this. Five minutes ago, I had something that I wanted to plug and I forgot. Is it an actual music related thing this time? No. <laughs> Hardly <laughs> ever is. is. This is just Mika gets to talk about whatever she wants yeah. for approximately two minutes. It is. I would like to plug cats. Just that's it. Cats. and i'd also like to plug this isn't even really a plug (laughs) i'd also like to plug supporting your local businesses and restaurants yes because the economy and people need jobs and people need money and we need food so might as well eat from small businesses no okay that's good (laughs) is that all you wanted to plug i think so okay well then we are going to get right into the music history i thought of something else to plug okay what is it hand washing (laughs) i feel like if people don't know that by now then there's no hope for them there's no hope for anyone if people don't know that by now yeah I'm just saying, like, the people who are listening to this podcast are probably the people who are at least somewhat online and have been warned to wash their hands by this point. That doesn't mean they're doing it. Listen, (laughs) you, if you are not washing your hands, yes, you, wash your hands. (laughs) Right now. Right now. (laughs) Take your earphones out, park your car, whatever. (laughs) Go wash your hands. For the love of God, don't get us all sick. (laughs) And, And plug. I'm sorry. That was supposed to be a joke. (laughs) <laughs> and it turned out to be harping on on you, that one person. I'm sorry. That one person. <laughs> Our poor one listener. Okay. Well, do you want to give us a brief recap of what we talked about the past couple episodes? Mm, we talked about the origins of the blues, and we yes. talked about Robert Johnson. And I know the name wow. because you just said it approximately 10 minutes ago. That hasn't stopped you from not knowing the name before. That is so true. Do you know any other names that we talked about? There are quite yes. a few good ones. Yes, yes. Hold on, hold on. Don't tell me. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> the people are never going to know how long <laughs> a pause yeah, I take when I'm trying to remember something. One of these days, I'll just leave it in. <laughs> just, they're going to be like, did the podcast end? <laughs> Crap. Blind. Yes. Lemon Jefferson. There you go. <laughs> There's another one based around a body part. I say that like blind is a body part, but... There was one based around a body. You know, part. you're blind. <laughs> um, or you're lemon. I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember what crazy dude's name was. <laughs> Lead Belly. Lead Belly, that's right. Yep. Well, we're not talking about the blues, so that doesn't matter. We're not talking about the blues anymore? No, we're done with the blues. I figured that since it was so much, like, it's it's bigger. I thought it would yeah. have more than two episodes. We'll, we'll be coming back to it. Oh, but okay. But we did the blues up until, like, the 30s like early 30s i forgot that we're going like chronologically versus um subject yes so we're just kind of like 
putting the brakes on the blues right now, and then we're going back to focus on a few different musical genres and artists and stuff that happened in like the early 1900s through the 1920s, and then we'll do like a blues part two in a little bit. Cool. But this week, we're doing something a little bit different than our normal thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's the fun episode. Well, fun's a stretch. You're it's a bonus episode. I'm not as excited about this one. Oh, wow. We have well, that just really <laughs> bums it out. You're not supposed to say that while we're recording. Uh, his <laughs> this guy's story isn't like the funniest story or the most interesting. Like it's still I a good story. We did come off of some pretty crazy yes. stuff happening the last two. There's another bonus episode that we're going to do in a while from now, but before we talk about crooners, and that's a bonus episode that I'm excited about because I think it's a fun story. But this one it's not as fun. Still important, though. We're going to be talking about a guy who we maybe should have talked about a little bit earlier. Because he's like, I knew who he was, and he's come up a lot, but I've just kind of figured we're not talking about the musical style that he primarily played in. So I figured, you know, he's not really that important to talk about. We've talked about him a lot? No. We have not. He came up. He's come up when I've been researching stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, like his I name is. I was going come to up. make a guess, but I no. You still might know his name, but uh, he turns out like as I was researching jazz that he was super influential, especially in big band movements. I and like big band. Yeah, big band stuff was. He was super influential in that. So I felt like before we get into jazz, since jazz, especially early jazz, had a lot of like brass bands and big band type stuff. I figured. We should probably go back and cover this guy at least a little bit. It won't be super in depth, but it'll be a little bit. And his name is drumroll, please. <laughs> <laughs> John Philip Sousa. Nope, don't know it. He's the American March King. That's a great title. Yes, the that King is way of March. better than like. I I don't know why that's better than all the other like kings and fathers and <laughs> blah blah blah. But that's definitely like. Is it just because it has King. American in it? No. <laughs> Military march music isn't a topic that we've covered in the show, and it wasn't something that we were going to cover, because, I mean, it's not that interesting, and it's, like, a super niche genre. Uh, Can you imagine if people are like, what music do you listen to? And I'm like, (laughs) oh, you know, like, American march, military march, you know, just, like, just your normal, like, indie stuff. Just (laughs) no big deal. That is super indie. Yeah. That's fine, but I'm not a hipster. Don't call me a hipster. (laughs) That's insulting. (laughs) I'm sorry you were saying. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that's kind of why this is a bonus episode, because it's outside of our, like, general scope. Like, we're kind of taking a step back. He isn't, I don't know, he's not really even 1900s. He's, like, late 1800s. So we're taking a little bit of a step back, but, you know, still important to talk about him. So I'm going to guess from your reactions already that you don't know anything about John Philip Sousa. No. Never even heard the name. Not that I know of. Okay. What do you think military march music is? Like, what are you picturing in your head? No, no, this is not right. (laughs) It's in my head and it's not coming out right. I can't. I can't. No, hold on. Okay. Do you have like examples of songs or like the where you might time hear I tried, it? The last time I tried to do an example of, I was like, oh yeah, I know this. And I was like, trying to explain it. You were like, no. <laughs> um, you were right about ragtime. I was so right the whole time. I'm literally just thinking of like 
Are you thinking like drum lines? Yes, like drum lines, but also like this trumpet line line came in, okay. and but it was instead of like being a trumpet line with like the the drum line, it was just the like for movies. Okay. I, mean, I don't know. That's fair. I don't know why that is what it turned into, but that's what it turned into. Well, we'll have a few examples of what March music is so you can see if you are correct or not. I think I am. Okay. <laughs> Spot on. <laughs> on November 6, 1854, John Philip Sousa was born in Washington, D.C., which is so appropriate. patriotic. <laughs> Very appropriate for the American March King. His father was a Portuguese immigrant and his mother was a German immigrant both still patriotic thank yeah. you immigrants <laughs> he was born near the marine barracks where his father lived since his father was a member of the marine band i see your connection <laughs> i'll admit i didn't really know a whole lot about like what the marine band actually like is before i did this i had never heard of the marine band uh, but it was established in 1798 by an act of congress making it the oldest continuously operational music organization in America. Why does Congress care? I, I mean, I don't. I guess they just wanted a band. So they just were like, yeah, sure, the Marines can have a band and made it a thing. Were they uh, just bored? Was there not enough to deal with? <laughs> like, they had time to say, let's form a band. It's probably just a super patriotic thing, because, like, I know a lot of other countries had military bands, so they were probably like, we need ours. So let's give it to the Marines for some reason. Because, like, when we talked about vaudeville, uh, that one guy brought over the Hungarian national band and the Parisian marching band. So, like, other places had their military bands. So we need one, too, because we're the best. <laughs> Can we be the best in other things? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they play over 500 performances a year at state funerals, assemblies, and other such governmental operations. They play it like the president's inauguration and stuff like that. Cool. Yeah. In 1861, Sousa enrolled in a private conservatory for music where he studied under a guy named John Esputa Jr. Apparently, he first started studying under es Esputa Sr., but that was short-lived because of Sr.'s frequent bad temper. <laughs> so Sousa studied under his son instead. That's hilarious. <laughs> A skilled and respected violin teacher, Esputa was the first person to give Sousa any kind of formal training. Esputa quickly learned that Sousa had a perfect pitch and taught him music theory and harmony. Lucky. He also trained Sousa in several different instruments, like the piano, flute, and brass instruments. So that gave him a solid foundation of instrument knowledge, but Sousa's favorite was always the violin throughout his life. I had a violin. Did you know that? No. I played the violin when I was like nine. So if I played, played, what do you mean by that? <laughs> Tortured my family. <laughs> did you ever have like lessons or did you just... No. <laughs> you, so you just had a violin that you just... just had a violin. <laughs> Why did you have a violin? Because I wanted to learn. I don't know who bought it for... I mean, it must have been like a grandparent bought it for okay. me because my I parents just, would never voluntarily... No. Like what parent would give their child like a violin without saying, we're going to go take lessons? Yeah, see, that was my thing. I feel like if you said you wanted to learn violin... Okay, sure. We'll get you a violin along with plans to enroll you in lessons, yeah, no, not I just, just a, had a violin. violin. <laughs> I, I don't know how long I had it. I have one memory of playing the violin in my front porch. <laughs> Super Southern. I, that's it. All right. 
Well, Sousa was probably a lot better at violin than you Probably. He has perfect pitch (laughs) and lessons. (laughs) He also kept practicing and gained great proficiency in the violin. At the age of 13. That was my problem, that I didn't keep practicing. Sure. And probably the lessons. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I didn't have recorder lessons either, but I was amazing at recorder. I can play Under the Sea. It's great. I had my Disney little like songbook. I'm going to guess the recorder is a little bit easier than violin. You know what? <laughs> Shut up. At the age of 13 in 1867, Sousa was almost persuaded to join a circus band. But before he could do that, his father enlisted him as an apprentice musician in the Marine Band. Swerve. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Dad's like, we're going to change directions yeah. here. <laughs> Can you imagine telling your Marine father, I'm going to join a circus? Like, that's probably not going to go over great. Sorry, you're joining the, the armed forces yes. instead. <laughs> uh, so, Sousa would stay in the Marine Band until he was like 20 years old. When he joined the Marine Band, Sousa began studying under George Felix Binkert who was a well-known orchestra leader. This is like on the side. Binkert wasn't a part of the Marine Band. It's like he also took night lessons with this dude. Wow. The Binkert was classically trained in Vienna and gave Sousa the kind of education that people thought was only available in Europe. Fancy. Yeah. In 1875, Sousa completed his apprenticeship and left the Marine Corps. He stayed in Washington, D.C. for a little bit, conducting and playing in a few orchestras before he left on a few different tours, probably at this time in, like, early vaudeville or minstrelsy. Okay. I don't like minstrelsy. That's early. Yeah. You don't think minstrelsy? You think it was after? I don't think it... it, I mean, this was definitely during minstrelsy, but I don't think John Sousa was in minstrelsy. I just... I don't know. I never... I didn't see that. It doesn't seem like his vibe. No, and I didn't see that in any of it. So I think he was more like plays in theater productions. Cool. In 1876, he moved to Philadelphia, where he became mildly obsessed with operas. Mildly obsessed. Yes. He would even (laughs) tour with an opera company and write some music for a play. By 1880, Sousa was seeing a lot of fame and success as a band leader and composer. He was still playing the violin, composing, and leading pit orchestras for theaters in Philadelphia, Washington, and on tours all over the country. That's pretty cool that he's doing so much Mm -hmm. at this time. While he was on tour in St. Louis, he received a telegram offering him the leadership of the Marine Band. He accepted and reported for duty on October 1st, 1880, becoming the 17th leader of the Marine Band. He would eventually lead the Marine Band to unheard of heights, and it's what he's best known for. Even though he had led a few orchestras, the Marine Band was Sousa's first time leading a military band, so he approached it differently than a lot of his predecessors. Because he came from like a different background than they would have come from. So he had a different approach to how the band should sound and stuff. A more fun approach. Most likely. Sousa replaced a lot of the music in the band's library and he turned it more symphonic. And was no- and Sousa was notorious for having strict practices. Oh, so less fun. Yeah, probably a little bit. More like opera based. Through all of that, he was able to turn the musicians into some of the best in the country. Word of the band's talent spread, and they became the premier military band. There were other military bands? Probably. Or at least other bands playing military marches. I don't know if like other branches of the U.S. military had their own bands. They might have. I don't know. You asked me earlier what I thought it sounded like. Yes, I did. 
I would like to change my answer. Okay. Slash add to my answer because okay. I think that what You're I said is expounding on your answer. Yes. I would like to add taps. <laughs> that okay. is all. Carry on. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> In 1886, he wrote a march called the Gladiator, which got a lot of respect in the military circles. People started to take him seriously as a composer and not just a band leader. Like before this, he was well known as being like a really good band leader, but the gladiator put him on the map as someone who could actually write music too. That's such an intense name. Yes. The gladiator was apparently written as a tribute to a Boston journalist. I don't know why, but I saw that oh, somewhere. So I was like, I All like right. that. It sold over a million copies and it was performed frequently. Other marchers would achieve great popularity, but this was his first success. Do you want to hear it? I do want to hear it. It's going to be your first. See if you were right. It's going to be exactly what I described, somehow encompassing all of that. That's, that's Mr. Sousa. Hi, Mr. Sousa. Have I heard this? I'm going to go out on a limb and say most military marches sound somewhat similar. So they're all going to sound like vaguely familiar to you. I think you definitely like? have heard some of his songs. This sounds like it belongs in the opening scene of Star Wars. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. Did you really? <laughs> yeah. That's the gladiator mark. So do you think you were correct? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Didn't you hear me answer... Um, what do you think military marches sound like? And I Star said, Wars. Star Wars? I did. Didn't I remember that. that? <laughs> <laughs> In 1888, Sousa wrote one of his best-known songs, Semper Fidelis. The song is either the official or unofficial march of the Marine Corps. It, depending on who you ask. <laughs> We're going to get to it. <laughs> there is no record of an official order that declared it the march of the Marine Corps. So there's no, like... We have no record that someone high up was like, yes, this is our official march and like pass that as an order. But a lot of Marine Corps records were lost to a flood after this. So it's entirely possible that that official order was actually lost. You know what? I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Sousa himself said it had been designated the official march and historians believe Sousa is generally truthful in what he claims. So happy for him either way it's an it's a hugely important song for the marine corps still to this day that's cool i yeah. do care about that <laughs> okay i just you know, official unoffendable like who mm, yeah cool great well Good in, like, song. probably in military circles it becomes really important whether or not something's an official order or not for us yeah. who cares but for them it's probably super important y'all i need to learn more honestly all of you people in my family who are a part of the military I respect the crap out of you, but I don't understand it. I really just don't. Life is weird in the military. It is. The song came about because President Arthur thought that Hail to the Chief, which was the official anthem of the President of the United States that was composed in 1812 by James Sanderson, was undignified, and Arthur wanted a new one. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, so isn't that still the song? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, Sousa wrote two different songs in response to that request. Arthur died before he could hear Semper Fidelis, but neither of the two songs replaced Hail to the Chief. So, it's still... 
really yeah. funny. He's like, this isn't good enough for me. Yes, but then and he then died before he could change it. So now it's like, well, all right, so we're going to keep funny. it. <laughs> and no one else has cared. No. All right, here is Semper Fidelis. Oh, I wanted to hear Hail to the Chief, though. I'm, I, I'm not dignified here. I don't care. But you get to see a cool band. I do like cool bands. This is the balloon band, as it was in 2001. Best of the best of the moons. They look so bored. They're just concentrating. It's really hard to look like be expressive when you're playing an instrument. Like it's not yes. like singing. I just feel like they played this so much. They probably don't have to concentrate all that hard anymore. Well, if they've played it so much, then they probably just don't care that much about it, and they're zoning That's out. That's also true. <laughs> all right. I did. That's I fidelis. barely listened <laughs> to that, man. I barely listened. Well, you can go back and listen on your own time. We're I moving won't. on. <laughs> then in 1889, Sousa wrote the Washington Post March. It was to, he wrote it to promote an essay contest that the Washington Post was putting on. It would be adapted, and it became the standard musical accompaniment for the new two-step dance craze. What? Yes. It became a smash hit in America and across Europe. What? This is the song that led to a British journalist declaring Sousa the March King, which is a title that has stuck ever since. Oh, here's the Washington Post march. know this one yeah can you imagine people two-stepping to this yeah actually it was adapted a little bit it wasn't exactly this like people changed it a little bit to make it more dancey so they danced to the remix yes basically okay, cool <laughs> all right it's washington postmark which one has been your favorite so far the star wars one Okay, Semper Fidelis. No, 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 no. no. Uh, the Gladiator. Yeah. He even has a Star Wars name. That's true. I mean, it would be better fitting for, like, the Gladiator. But, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. It's it's closer no, than it's good. Washington Postmarch. Uh, sure. Or Semper Fidelis. I don't know what that means in Latin, so I think, I don't know. Always that faithful? Could end up. Uh, Fidelis is faithful. That seems like a Star Wars thing, actually. Yes, it means always faithful. Look at me and my Latin education coming in clutch. Wow. I'm so glad you took Latin in high school. <laughs> Middle school. What? I, dr I dropped it as soon as I could. That's I hilarious. took Latin from second grade until about ninth grade. I don't know why I always thought it was high school. And then it became an elective. And I was like, no, I'm not taking Latin anymore. Well, I was talking with some friends earlier and they, two of them, like, no... Spanish one better than the other because they took it in high school and like became fluent and still use it and still know it. Cool. Well, no one speaks Latin, so there That's was no true. point in learning it. That's it has true. helped me with like I can see words in other languages and like recognize it as having a Latin root and then kind of figure out what it might mean, but you know, whatever. Anyway, at this point, after the Washington Post March, the phonograph was a brand new invention, and companies were looking for ensembles to record for it. The Columbia Phonograph Company chose the Marine Band, and they became one of the first marching bands to record their music. Who Over did it before them? 
Who got? Who was able to do that before the literal like? I don't. I don't. Government know. banned. I don't know if anyone like. No one knows, but we just have to put one of just in case. That's <laughs> okay. Got it. Over the next seven years, over four hundred pieces were recorded. Wow. They were popular, and they made Sousa and his Marine Band one of the first recording stars in the world. Sousa knew that his band was incredibly popular, and he wanted to take it on tour. But the Marine Band didn't do that kind of thing. They had never gone on a tour That'd before. That'd be a lot of people to take on. T- well, I mean, it's touring the same as like a circus big band. And yeah. or an opera. The opera and the theater. Or an orchestra. In 1891. It is an orchestra. Yeah. In 1891, President Benjamin Harrison gave the official approval for the band to tour. This kicked off a once-a-year tour, which is still a tradition that carries on today. I literally did not know this was a thing. Yeah. Every year, the Marine Band hits the road for a tour in the fall. In 1892, Sousa's manager approached him about starting a civilian band. I'm guessing this is because there's a lot more money in band leading in the civilian sector, but I don't know that for sure. Regardless, Sousa resigned from the Marine Band. He had his farewell performance on the White House lawn where members of the band presented him with an engraved baton as a symbol of respect. That's cute. I like that. Eventually, Sousa's daughters would return the baton back to the Marine Band in 1953. Now the Sousa baton is passed to each new band leader at the change of command ceremony. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. In his 12 years with the oh, Marine... Oh, oh. It's the passing of the baton. Yeah. Is that where that came from? Probably not. Because there's already like relay races happening before oh, this yeah. and like the Olympics and stuff where that's they pass right, batons. That's right. That's right. But still, <laughs> that's yeah. cute. Okay. Continue. Sorry. In his 12 years with the Marine Band, Sousa played for five different presidents. A few months after starting his own band, it gained equal reputation with the finest symphonies in the world. It wasn't a marching band, it was more like an orchestra. Some of the top players of the day came through Sousa's band, like they had their start in Sousa's band. People came from all over to see Sousa the March King in his band. Sousa demanded that every b- everything be played to perfection, whether it was a technically complicated symphony piece or just a rendition of a popular song. So everything had to be perfect. There was no room for mistakes. And that kind of endeared him to the public, like they liked that he was treating it seriously. During his time, Sousa was a larger-than-life composer with extraordinary talent and work ethic. But according to those that knew him, he was humble, approachable, and saintly is the I word that was really, used. I thought that we were going in the opposite direction. <laughs> I thought you were about to be like, he's a drunk that beats his wife, because that's <laughs> kind of the MO no. for half of these people so far. No, apparently, according to all... like, I mean, he's probably probably wasn't the most fun person to work under, but he was liked and respected by almost everyone. I love that. Sousa was an incredibly hard worker. He once claimed, quote, when you hear of Sousa retiring, you will hear of Sousa dead. Did he retire? Nope, that turned out to be true. Wow. He was supposed to lead the Ringgold Band in Reading, Pennsylvania on March 6, 1932, but he died suddenly after a rehearsal. Just died suddenly? Yeah, I don't really know what he died from. I think it was a heart attack, but I can't be sure. That's generally how people die suddenly, I guess. In 1987, Congress passed an act that made one of Sousa's songs the official national march of the United States. Stars and Stripes Forever was written by Sousa on Christmas Day in 1986. He was on his way back from vacation in Europe on a steamship when he heard of the death of his manager, Blakely, who was the person who convinced him to leave the Marine Band. He wrote the song in his head 
like kind of in respect for Blakely, I guess. And then he wrote it down when he eventually got back to America. Just wrote a song in his head. Yeah. And, like, and then just great. remembered it for like a couple weeks, probably. I'm sure that <laughs> wrote it down. I'm sure that he changed it a little bit. I mean, probably, but still. Here is Stars and Stripes Forever. This one I think you probably know because it's like the National March of the United States. I mean, I know the name. I probably watched it like like I'm sure one of the um, marching bands that plays in the parade did it at some point. Imagine writing all of these instrument parts in your head though. That's crazy. It is really crazy. I like it. Yep, that's Stars and Stripes Forever. And that's all I had about John Philip Sousa. But a lot of his like stuff, since it was very big band and brass band focused, very much influenced a lot of the early band leaders in jazz. So that's kind of why I felt like we needed to talk about him. I like it. All right. Well, that's all I had. That's our first bonus episode done. Woo! I don't have a correction corner. I did have one, but then we did it in the blues episode, so it's done. I would like to do my correction corner. Oh, you have another correction corner? I do have another correction corner. Um, Earlier, I said drumline and... um. And taps and stuff, which was all really good guess <laughs> and a really good answer. Um, but considering that this so is... So humble. Shush. <laughs> um, considering that this is um, march music, military march mm-hmm. music, um, I would like to correct my answer and say marching band, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel like you're allowed to guess again after I'm we've already guessing. talked about it. <laughs> Okay, so you're saying you are wrong. No. All I'm right. Sa- I'm saying that they were great guesses. No. no. <laughs> they're great guesses, but wrong. <laughs> no. Altogether, they formed the answer, <laughs> marching band. But those words never came out of my mouth. So I'd like to just <laughs> clarify here and now in this meant. correction corner that... Um, I meant marching band music <laughs> and marching music okay. for the March King. Fine. We will pretend that that is what you meant. No, n- there's no pretending. There's just <laughs> accepting. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I guess that's our correction corner for this episode. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> All right. Join us next week, and we're going to talk about early jazz. I like jazz. We're going st- to start talking about how jazz was like born in new orleans where it came from that kind of stuff uh we were supposed to go to new orleans for this yes but now we're not allowed to leave our home Mm. and then the next episode after that is going to be about the jazz age so it's going to be about like the 20s and when jazz was at its height i love that then we're going to talk about two different popular jazz performers of the time is one of them armstrong yes one of them is louis armstrong (laughs) do you have a guess on who the other one is TBD. Okay. <laughs> I can tell you it is no. a female. So no. that narrows it a little bit. I was bit. thinking of her, but I don't know her name. Okay. But I do, but like I don't. Okay. You She's know? cool. I really like her story too. 
And then we're going to talk about the swing era, even though that kind of like goes beyond because that's like the 40s. So we're going to go a little bit beyond just because like it follows closely on jazz. And then we're going to come back to like the 30s and stuff. Join us over the next yes. two months. While we talk <laughs> a lot about jazz. <laughs> But I'm it's excited. so important. We have to talk about jazz a it's lot. It's important and it's fun. You're like, oh, it's mm-hmm. important. I'm like, oh, I love jazz. <laughs> jazz is good. Okay. Well. Anyway. Goodbye, friends. Thank you for listening. Join us next week. Stay safe out there.